Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're in the Gospel of Mark. We're going through it. We come to like a a pinnacle chapter because people who study the Gospel of Mark would say chapter 8 is a turning point. So you got all these miracles, all these things happening, and then all of a sudden you hit chapter 8 and Jesus starts talking about suffering and death and the cross. It's kind of fascinating, actually. And the cross is counterintuitive, right? Because if you're a king coming to earth, what are you going to do? Reign and rule, not die, not, not die, right? So the cross just doesn't make sense or does it? Now, I'm, I want to begin here at verse 22 because this, this healing story of Jesus has always been a head-scratcher for me. You know, when you think about Jesus' healing, sometimes, like when he's in the temple and they're trying to trick him, you know, he's going to do work on the Sabbath, he doesn't raise a hand. He just speaks and the guy's healed. Then you got people touching the hem of his garment and getting healed. He spits in this one. And the healing isn't immediate, which is like, what is he, semi-powerful, right? Is it try, try, try again? Did Jesus have to do that? You know, so look at this. It says, and then oh, they came to Bethesda and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes, I do have a wonder, was it like a fly... <laughs> Did he bend? I mean, I, I do wonder, how did it go, right? After sp- In John, Jesus makes mud with his spit. That seems to be, but this just, this just plain old spit. Okay, um, I did read scholars on this, and they did believe that spit had some healing properties back then. And some people have even said there's some antibacterial elements in our spit that... But, Enough. It, it has nothing to do with the story, I don't think. But here it is. He spits in his eyes. He lays hands on him. And the, he asks the blind guy, what do you see? He's like, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. It's like, he doesn't really see well, does he? So, so then, again, he lays hands on his eyes. And he looked intently and was restored. And began to see everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, don't enter the village. You know, basically, I don't want a crowd trying to make me king. Just go home. Here's here's what I think. The miracle is prophetic. You know, Jesus will say to his disciples, you have ears, but you don't hear. You have eyes, but you don't see. And I think this understanding of who the Messiah was and his cross was, this, was like an unfolding understanding. I believe they didn't fully get it until after he was crucified and rose from the grave, right? Rose from the dead. But here, it's like, it's like I'm going to show you something. The scriptures, many, time, it's, many times, it's meditation literature. Like we're supposed to chew on it. Why does this come before this? What is he trying to say here? Is Jesus not able to heal? Or is he fully able to heal, but he's trying to say, see how this blind guy's eyes came? This is how you're going to understand that I am the Messiah, right? Understanding the message of the cross takes time, just like our lives. You ever notice that um, when you first believed, you didn't look exactly like Jesus on this earth, right? 
I hope I look a little more like Jesus now. But the reality is, is all of our lives are a little bit like beauty and the beast, right? It's like beauty is married to the beast, but she treats the beast like a gentleman, and finally she kisses him, and he turns into who she always wanted. Or I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, every time we pray our Father, he said, we look at our own lives, and we're like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not the Son of God, right? I mean, we are children. We are sons of God. God, but he goes, if we're really serious, look what he says, the moment you realize what the words our father means, you realize that you are not a son of God. You're not being like the son of God whose will and interest are at one with the father, right? I mean, Gretchen read something about our wills not being at one with the father and having to put them to death. He says... You are a bundle of self-centered fears, hopes, greed, jealousy, and self-conceit, all doomed to death. But Lewis said it's like we wear a mask of Jesus, and as we walk with Jesus, our faces grow into it. Isn't that interesting? And he, he even says this. He says, uh, when you're not feeling particularly friendly, you know you ought to be. And the best thing you can do very often is put on a friendly manner and behave as if you are a nicer person than you actually are. You guys do that. You ever been angry and answer the phone? Hi. You know, right? And your spouse is like, why aren't you talking to me like that, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, he says, and in a few minutes as well, uh, we all have noticed you will really be feeling friendlier than you were. Very often, the only way to get the quality in reality is to start behaving as if you already had it. And this is like the scriptural term, put on compassion, put on kindness. You know, it's like you, may, you might not always feel it, but you move into it, and God slowly shapes us into this kind of cross-shaped image of Christ on this planet. So Jesus went out and he went along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on his way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do people say that I am? And they told him, saying, John the Baptist. Can I say John the Baptist is always kind of interesting? It would be like Billy and I. We're contemporaries. Billy gets beheaded and they look at me and go, I think he's Billy, right? <laughs> That, I mean, they, they, they grew up at the same time, and now Jesus happens to be... Yeah, so I don't know. They didn't really know who Jesus was. Uh, some say Elijah. Others say the prophets. And, and continued to he continued to question them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him saying, you are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about it. Again, Jesus knows, don't make me a king on this earth. I've got a different kingdom. And, and you know, in Matthew, we get even more commentary on this. Matthew says that Jesus looked at Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. Can I say, I believe when Peter confessed Christ, he thought, you're a kingly figure who will arise and restore the nation of Israel. Don't you think that's what he thought? I mean, that's what the Messiah was. He was taught from it from, from childhood. The Messiah will come. There will be a king on the throne like King David. There will be a priest. You know, he, will, he will come, and he will reign where? On this earth. 
Right? This is what he believed. So when he said, you're the Messiah, he's like, you are the messianic king we've all hoped for. But the reality is, he was like only seeing people like trees. Right? The miracle wasn't fully done. Jesus had worked sight. God had worked sight in his life, but not the full sight yet. And he began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was starting, uh, stating the matter plainly. It's like, I, it's like he's, not, he's not talking in parables. I will die and suffer, right? And I will rise. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Don't you love Peter? Here, he just said, you're the Messiah. And now Peter's telling the Messiah how he needs to act. You know, you've forgotten, Jesus, what life is all about. You don't say this, right? And I, so Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus rebukes Peter. And look at his words. Get behind me, Satan. I always feel like Peter, you know, Jesus looks at him and goes, flesh and blood has not revealed that, but you got that for my father. And he's like, yes, right? And his head is like, remember those old McDonald commercials, like Mayor McCheese, right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. Oh, right? You know, he's like a pinhead now. And, and isn't this how our life is many times? You know, we go from like, we go like two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, four steps back. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Have you ever noticed like spiritual growth? I remember in college saying to somebody, I was feeling pretty confident in Jesus. You know, how am I doing? Do you see anything in my life I need to change? A few days later, I like lost my temper really bad, you know, and you're like, you know, I think the Lord is like, yeah, I'm going to humble you, dude. I'm not, like pride is not part of fruit of the spirit, right? We need to, we need to get rid of this. And th this is many times what it's like to, to walk with Jesus like, we see trees, right? And we're trying, but we're just kind of back and, and forth. And yet, you can have confidence that the same God who put his spit on the blind man's eyes, he saw trees and then he saw clearly, is the same God at work in your life and my life. I don't know where you are, what you've been up to or what you're doing, but the scriptures say, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, right? I mean, it's this beautiful promise. And any time I think about this, my mind goes back to a guy who was my roommate in college for a while, and he came to know the Lord, and I was so excited. And then he fell away, and his words to me were, I am not one of you anymore. I know. And then he stopped being my roommate, and then he dropped out of college. So imagine, like, four years later, um, I went to Hiram, which is an hour away. I'm in Columbus at a little church of around 50 people meeting in a school in like a little neighborhood. Like it was hard to find. You had to know where you're going to find this school that we rented. And who would walk in but my roommate from college, a fully devoted believer in Jesus. I think the Lord did it just for me, right? Because he wanted me to know, Doug, I began the work. 
right? And I'll bring it to completion. And I could say that about you. Two steps forward, one step back, but God will bring the work to completion. So Jesus then, he's not just with the disciples. He calls the crowd to him because he's got a word for them. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. You got to imagine what they heard there, right? The cross, we wear it around our necks, right? But for them, it's like anybody wants to follow me, hop in the electric chair, right? Anyone wants to follow me, lethal injection, right? You know, like carry your, like he's, he's saying there's something going on. Deny himself, take up his cross and follow. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can man give in exchange for his life? Forever is, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus, isn't it? You know, he's like, love your life and you lose it, right? Lose your life and you find it. It's like, uh, we always hear finders, keepers, losers, weepers, but I think it's losers, keepers, finders, weepers, right? You're like, what did he just say? So he says, what, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And you know, I, I think when I think about this, I think there's a way to live where your performance is where you find your life, right? It's like, who am I, right? Many of us are called by our performance. That's how we got, many of us got our names, right? People call me Pastor Doug. What are they saying? You're what you are what you do, right? I'm walking the dog the other day, and one of my neighbors knows I'm a pastor. It's dark, and he goes, hey, pastor. I'm like, what? Somebody call me pastor in the dark. And, uh, and, but but it basically, it's my performance, right? It's like Plumber Bob, right? And, and many times, we can take the things we do, and we, we look to them to say who we are, and how we're doing. We find our righteousness. Some, some cultures, especially Eastern cultures, find their righteousness in their family and honoring their family. Some in the West, we find our righteousness in our children and how well our children are doing. We vicariously live through our children and, and we get our strokes by that. You know, it doesn't really matter. There's performance. I think when you and I have to be careful that our life is not found in what we do. Right? It's not found in, oh, look, I work so hard and I have all this money or this car or this power. Or, or, or maybe it's like, look at my trophy wife. You know what I'm saying? Like, our, our, our life is not found in what you do because we're not made for that. I like what Tim Keller says. He says, if our identity is found in our work, in, in our performance, Rather than Christ, success will go to our heads and failure to our hearts. Because when you base your life around your performance, and it's the thing that you're defining your life by, the thing that you're saying, this is what gives me life. Who am I if I don't have a man? Or who am I if I don't have a woman in my life, right? I'm, I'm nobody. And, that, and you get that thing, and it gets taken away, and you... 
you're, you're depressed or you want to die. You, you know what I'm like? And Jesus is saying, no, you let go of that search for life. And you find your life in the good news that I loved you so much, I value you so much that I died for you. You know, years ago, my mother-in-law gave me a little basket. It was a Longenberger business card basket and also a Longenberger Rolodex. Young people, before phones, we had these things and they were like little cards and they had people's names on them and addresses and you'd go through them. Now, can I say that I hid the Longenberger basket Rolodex? I didn't want it on my desk because it's embarrassing. But I used it, but I kept a little business card basket. And you know, that business card basket, I looked, I don't think we had it online back in the day, but I looked, it was like worth a ton of, a ton of money for this little basket. Remember Longenberger? It was really popular. Yeah, why, why was it worth anything, right? Because people would pay for it. Remember Beanie Babies? People lost a lot of money on those, right? Because the value of something is what people are willing to pay for it. And when you and I go, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove to the world that I am somebody. I'm going to show them how beautiful I am. I'm going to show them you know, how, how well, my money, whatever. The Lord's like, no, no, lose that life and find your life in the gospel. I value you so much. I paid my life for you. I mean, do you see that? You know, find your value in what Jesus paid for you. And he goes, if anybody comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Death brings life. Have you ever no noticed that the cross is really how the world works, right? Death brings life. You're like, what is he talking about? Well, in the physical world, what do you call that stuff? Poo, right? Manure. What's another name for manure? Fertile. Is it fertile? Fertile myrtle. Like fertile. Like, fertile means reproductive. We call poo reproductive. Isn't that interesting? Like why do we do that? Because, well, remember, the, remember when you were in grade school, maybe you had the picture of the Indians teaching the pilgrims how to grow corn, and they took a dead fish and stuck it in the hole? Because the death of the fish gave life to the corn, right? Fertilizer is this decaying, dying stuff, and you put it in there, and it gives life, right? A bird's flying through the air, and it sees a worm, and it eats it, so the death of the worm gives life to the bird, and then the bird finally dies and lays on the ground, and its, its body decomposes, and the nutrients go into the soil, and the death of the bird gives life to the worm, right? So the death brings life, you know, I noticed this uh, new, uh, new seafood place driving past the mall, and I, it's caught my attention. Look at all the dead things there. The death of the shrimp gives life to the human. The death of the crab gives life to the human. I don't even know what's in that sausage, but it gives life to us, right? Something died, and then we have life. Even if it's an apple, right? You take the apple and eat it, so the death of the apple, so to speak, gives life to our bodies. That's how the physical world works. And you know, the psychological world works that way too. When, when I was in uh, wrestling in high school and college, and I'd go to like a wrestling camp, and I would learn from these Olympic champions, you know, and, and they didn't get to the Olympics without sacrifice. Isn't that a funny word? Right? We sacrifice the lamb, we sacrifice animals, and you, what do they mean when they say sacrifice? It's like, I could spend my time 
watching TV, doing, you know, but I'm sacrificing that in order to get good at my sport. And then their sacrifice inspired me. It breathed life into me to try harder, to work harder, to sacrifice myself. I remember years ago when Billy was in Scene Magazine and um, he did a performance at our church. At, those are drums and cymbals. Takes two weeks to set that up, right, Billy? No. Um, and, and, uh, and I would bring, like, my son there and other drummers would come and Billy would drum and, and we, would, we, would, we would listen and yet, for my son, he would go home and just practice. And Billy did not get good at drums without spending a lot of time practicing, like many hours. Can I get an amen from you, Billy? Amen. Yeah. So somebody knocks on Billy's door and goes, can Billy come out and play? And Billy's like, no, I can't come out and play. I need to practice my drums. So he's sacrificing, but then it breathed life. It inspired Right, my son or others to try harder because psychologically death brings life. And then when you enter into the, the spiritual realm, Jesus comes on the scene and his death gives us life. I mean, that's how God made the world to work. Jesus dies on the cross to give life. And then he looks at us and he's like, he's like you're going you're gonna to live in that same rhythm. You who carry my, your cross will be life givers to the world, right? I like what C.S. Lewis said, for in self-giving, if anywhere we touch the rhythm, not only of all creation, but of all being, for the eternal word Jesus also gives himself in sacrifice. Like you and I, when we become cross bearers, we start looking like Jesus. We grow into that shape. And, and in the practical planes of everyday living, this is how it works. If, if I come home and, and I actually do the dishes, I'm not a very good dish doer, just a confession. Yeah, this isn't my sink, but it could be. Um, if I come home and I do the dishes and then Gretchen comes home later, you know what she feels? Lighter. He did the dishes. Gretchen tells me I, I'm the most attractive when I'm vacuuming, right? right? You know, because, like, she's getting, because I'm sacrificing, I could be doing something really important, like watching Netflix, right? You know what I'm saying? Or, the, like, you see what I'm saying as I, I'm joking about it. So my sacrifice breathes life into somebody else. And, and, and your sacrifice, when you take the phone call that somebody's hurting and you talk to them and it's 10 to 11 or 11 to 12 and you give them your time, right? You're giving life into them. When you see somebody who needs financial help and you, you help them financially and you could spend that on, on like lobster and crab and all, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you give, you're sacrificing, but you're doing it you're, you're helping them, like you're lifting them up. This is the way God made it to work. And I think the only way we can do this is keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus, right? Because the scriptures say, the one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who is forgiven little loves little. I, you know, I like this uh, little YouTube video. This guy's spoofing people. 
And he's telling them he's got a ticket for them, a $500 ticket. But he actually gives them money. I want you to notice the difference in the responses and ask yourself, what's the difference in these two situations and their response? Yeah, there's no parking right here. It's a $500 ticket. Yeah, you didn't see the sign when you parked there? Yeah, you, you just walked right past it. I saw you. You're not allowed to park there, so you're just going to have to take this. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I don't make the rules. I just, uh, I enforce them. Yeah, I get my badge, no problem. What a gentleman. It's just a different kind of ticket. It's a $500 ticket. Yeah, of course. I need that. Of course, they were just messing with you. Awesome. Well, we're filming like a YouTube video. Yeah. Is it okay if we use that for our videos? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a good day. Hey, I see you asking people for money. Um, do you need something? Where are you going? My boss just called me in and said you got reported for loitering. I got reported Yeah, he said that uh, I actually have to write you a $500 ticket. No, I'm serious. Here, man, just take it. I already wrote it all up and everything. Okay, I get goosebumps every time I see that. So what's the difference? I mean, the first lady hugged, right? And she appreciated it, but she might have been able to get to her bank and get $500 out. But this guy is like desperate. And he is just, look at the, he, he hugs him. And you can tell the other guy's like, okay, had enough hug, right? <laughs> but, but he's like hanging on. Why? He's forgiven much, loves much, right? Like the, the need. And you and I, we look more like Jesus. The more we get it, the more we're like, you did that for me? It's like a spontaneous response. Ten years ago, I was on the Bible and bike. I think this was our second or third Bible and bike ever. And I was hardcore. I'm like, we are not going to have any support vehicle with us. We'll carry all our stuff and our bags. We'll be fine. And so we went on it and... Um, and the first day we rode and it rained a little bit, camped the next day. The, the, um, the following day we're riding along and Roxanne, she's the one in the pink, uh, something happened with her bike and I'm like, I'm starting to fix it or whatever. And, and I said to the rest of the group, oh, go ahead and ride on, you know. So they ride on and we fix the bike and we're riding on and I look like way down the trail and my daughter is laying down in the middle of the path. And I think to myself, there's a lot better places to lay down. Like, I, if she's tired, she could, she could rest in different areas. And then I hear Gretchen's voice, and I can't understand what she's saying, but it's serious, right? So I pedal as fast as I can to get up to my daughter, and a tree branch, see that branch behind those guys? 
had broken off and come down like straight right into her collarbone, broke three ribs, bent her bike seat. You ever try to bend a bike seat? Like, um, and then here we are, she's, she's in a lot of pain and we don't have phone reception. We're three miles away from this place called um, Bill's Place, which, is a, which was a canoe livery, restaurant, general store, and bar, right? And so, like, I hop on a bike and ride as fast as I can to get back to Bill's Place to call for these, these um, stellar um, guys that are helping. You know, it's all volunteer out there, right? So they have the siren that goes off and the guys all gather. Um, and, and so they come, they pick me up, they come out, they put her on a thing, and then they have this, like, station wagon or something. They put her in or a truck, they slid her in the back, but that wasn't going to be the actual ambulance. That was just the trail vehicle to get her to an ambulance, to get her to the hospital, and I said to Bill, I'm, uh, you know, Bill had died. I said to Bill's son, you know, I, I don't have a vehicle. Do you know any, anybody I could, like, how, how I could get around? And, and he goes, you know, the, the water's high. I've canceled all the canoe, like, people, churches and groups that were going to canoe today because there's too much debris in the, in the river. So uh, you, my, my driver, and he calls this young guy in, and he goes, take him to this hotel here. And I had sent the group on 15 miles away to go to stop at that hotel, too. And, and, we, and he took me to the hotel. When I get to the hotel, I get a phone call from my wife. Hey, Hannah's ready to be picked up. I say to the truck driver, and this was this old one-ton truck, hey, can you take me to get my daughter? Yeah, so we go to the hospital, and, and uh, this seatbelt didn't work in this truck, you know. It's all real bouncy. And, um, and, and I say, uh, I'm there, the nurse is there, the driver's there, and uh, she goes, how are you getting her to the hotel? And I go, I'm a one-ton truck. She goes, where are you going to sit? I'm like, in the back with my wife. She goes, that's illegal. I'm like, well, well I, I don't have a choice, you know. And then uh, uh, she reaches in her pocket pulls out her keys, hands them to Gretchen and goes, take my van. Just bring it back. I know. So we're like floored. So Gretchen and Hannah ride in this van, which is comfortable, back to the hotel. We're waiting for her husband to drive from Ohio to, we're in Maryland or something, to, to get Hannah. She had uh, three surgeries, <laughs> but she's doing just great now. Made a bunch of grandkids. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so uh, we're waiting there, but then this driver has to go with me to take the van back to the hotel. Also, I had this script for like Oxycontin, and they don't give that out easily, right? So I'm like, so I go to the pharmacy. My daughter can't be here to get this. I'm showing pictures. Can you give this to me? You know, look at my daughter. And then the nurse calls, and it's okay. But he has to take me then back. Like this guy, he, he got paid by his boss hours of work to drive me around. How do you think I felt? Like totally indebted to this guy. You know, and another cool thing was his, his, not cool really, but his mom had died maybe five days before or seven days before and he was grieving and to stick him with this pastor for all these hours of driving, it was ministry. 
But when he was done, not only did I fill that truck up, but I gave him a massive tip. And I just am like, I totally appreciate you. And nobody held a gun to my head, right? And, and this is how it is when you and I fix our eyes on Jesus. The more we see, oh Lord, you did that for me. You, you did that for me. Your kindness, your grace is overwhelming. Help me, Lord, to look like you on this earth. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, may you, by your spirit, make your church look like you. Father, you said if we love our lives, we lose it. But if we lose our lives for your sake, we find it. You say, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Forgive us for all the times that the cross is laying there and we, we're trying to not carry it, Lord, and help us to be people who fix our eyes on you and out of gratitude pick up that cross and follow. Amen? Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.